0: Good morning everyone. Um, The Bible reading today is from Psalm 107 and then Luke 8, verse 22 to 56. So the first reading should be on page 521 from the Bibles at the back table. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, those he redeemed from the hand of the foe those he gathered from the lands, from the east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in a desert wasteland, finding no way to, to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his word and his wonderful deeds for mankind for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things some sat in darkness in utter darkness prisoners suffering in iron chains because they rebelled against God's command and despised the plans of the most high so he subjected them to bitter labor they stumbled and there was no one to help then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love, and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Some became fools through their rebellious ways, and some suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food, and drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice, thank offerings, and tell of his works with songs of joy. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep, for he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wits' end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. He turned rivers into a desert, flowing springs into thirsty ground and fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who lived there. He turned the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into flowing springs There he brought the hungry to live, and they founded a city where they could settle. They sowed fields and planted vineyards that yielded a fruitful harvest. He blessed them, and their numbers greatly increased, and he did not let their herds diminish. Then their numbers decreased, and they were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow. He who pours contempt on nobles made them wander in a trackless waste. But he lifted the needy out of their affliction and increased their families like flocks. The upright see and rejoice, but all the wicked shut their mouths. Let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. So the New Testament reading is from Luke 8. We're starting at verse 22, and this is on page 888 in the church Bibles. One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake, so the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided, and all was calm. Where is your faith? he asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. They sailed to a region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, "'Shouting at the top of his voice, "'What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? "'I beg you, don't torture me.' "'For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. "'Many times it had seized him, "'and though he was chained by hand and foot and kept under guard, "'he had broken his chains "'and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. "'Jesus asked him, "'What is your name?' Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him, and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down a steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about twelve, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. "'Who touched me?' Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, "'Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you.' But Jesus said, "'Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me.' Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet." In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, "'Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace.'" While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. "'Your daughter is dead,' he said. "'Don't bother the teacher any more." Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, "'Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed.'" When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened.
1: Well, good morning everyone. My name is Bernard and I'm the pastor here. And if we've not met, I'd love to meet you later on. Um and uh there were two things I wanted to mention. Oh yeah, one is uh next week, so we are we are rapidly heading toward the end of term one. Where has the time gone? Next weekend is a really special weekend for every church and for our church included. Um may I just remind you, if you don't already know, that on Good Friday we've got a service here at half past nine. We'd love to see everyone here with hot cross Buns. So if church wasn't enough for whole... Then buns might be a bit of a pull for you, 9.30 30 um, here on Friday, and then again on Easter Sunday. Both of those will be um, pretty, they're, they're slightly different services, but quite uh, kid and family friendly services. So we'd love to um, share those with you. Um, please uh, join us. And the, the other one's um, just a, a hot tip for, um, for newcomers. If you're an absolute brand newcomer to Summerlees, here's one of the things I've found. I've been here for like just a bit over a year now. The closer you sit to the front, I'm not kidding. The acoustics in this room. The closer you sit to the front, the better the
0: experience
1: is. So, uh, just there's a little hot tip for where you sit next time. I guess you can move now, but now everyone's going to look at you, aren't they? So, maybe don't do that. A bit weird. Um, uh, I don't know. I just mentioned that just as a just so that you know. I'm actually going to start in a bit of a um, hang on, sorry. I've just got something sliding here. Okay, good. Yep, good. Uh, actually going to start in something of a, a grim sort of a spot, which I think matches the Luke chapter 8 um, passage, and that is absolutely the one to have open in front of you. Luke chapter 8, that's uh, the big number 8 in the text, and we um, kick it off from verse 22. That's a bit hard to read. It says hopeless. Um, but, yeah, going to begin in this... Um, kind of heavy spot to match the theme of our text today. And it's, uh, I'll ask you this question. Can you remember the last time that you sat beside a dear friend of yours um, whose life had just been shattered, felt shattered? Uh, things had well and truly fallen apart for them. And there you were uh, beside them or sitting opposite them at their uh, dining table. Uh, We've just read a passage that gently, I think, offers hope to a string of people whose lives have come to feel hopeless, have come to seem beyond hope, person after person, irretrievably harmed or hollowed out by their circumstance and hardship. Can you recall the last time that you sat with a friend whose life had recently come apart at the seams? Did you know what to say? You couldn't fix it, of course. Did you know how to pray with them, perhaps? Can you remember the last time that you sat beside a loved one who was desperate, uh, not a victim of tragedy necessarily, but desperate and vulnerable and worn out by how long and how hard and just how mean and how alone life had come to feel for them? And sometimes there is nothing really that you can say is there. And in fact, there's an important place, for remaining silent and just being with someone. But eventually you may have a moment to speak or to pray. Do you know what to say or how to help? If they were a brother or sister in the Lord, would you have known where to turn in the scriptures or what to read together or how to reassure them which things might be helpful? Perhaps more troublingly, have you ever sat beside someone for whom, uh, again, you care very deeply, but for whom hope has just gone for good? It's gone. They've just been told that they're not going to win this one, uh, the diagnosis they've been given. Um, Or they had been clinging on and fighting for so long, but now they've lost. Um, Our passage today in Luke chapter 8, it tells, uh, well, four stories. We're going to tackle three of them in the the body of the talk. There's this introductory one. It, It tells these three stories and answers two questions. Uh, we 'll get to those three stories in a moment, but let 's look at this first introductory story just before we pray, Luke chapter eight and verse twenty two One day Jesus said to his disciples let 's go over to the other side of the lake." So they got into a boat and set out as they sailed, He fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake, so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, "Master, master we 're going to drown." He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water. And they obeyed him. Did you spot the two questions there? Where is your faith? Why does he ask that? Why does Jesus ask that of his disciples? Not, I presume, not because faith is easy or obvious when they are convinced that they're going to drown. On the contrary, when your boat is literally filling with water, faith might seem the lowest of your priorities and the most absurd of things in the world. The last thing you want to reach for, the first thing you want to reach for, is a bucket. But no, Jesus doesn't ask the question to mock his disciples, not to mock them, but perhaps to shock them to shock them into an answer, where? Where is your faith located? Which feeds into the second question, because if you can provide a solid answer to this second question, then faith, faith doesn't seem nearly so silly, and life, even when the bottom falls out of it, uh, starts to look a lot less hopeless. The second question is, who is this? Referring to Jesus. Let's pray and dive into this spectacular but somewhat heavy passage. Let's pray. Father, we confess that very often we want to draw close to our loved ones and our friends and we want to be there for those who are going through hard times and yet we feel so inadequate, feel so useless, so lacking in answers or anything that's going to actually help them. We confess before you our impotence, our inability. We confess that sometimes we're the ones going through the ringer and crying out and questioning and asking. And it's not that we expect anyone to fix it, but we do struggle at times, oh God, to put it all together with our faith, with our Jesus, with the goodness of our God. Life just doesn't go as we hope or as it should or as we feel it ought to. So, Lord God, this morning, as we come to your word to us, may we please find who this is, as in Jesus, in a way that refreshes us. Father, we know we don't always get answers to our questions of why. In fact, perhaps having those answers wouldn't help us anyway. But for this morning, would you please at least help us to grasp the who question? Just who Jesus is. And what does it mean for our faith in the heaviest of times and as we walk alongside our loved ones in those heavy times? Lord God, would you please cultivate amongst us a community life that does indeed breathe the love of Jesus to one another, along with firm grounds for hope, whatever that looks like on the ground in our day to day. And we ask it in Jesus' name, please. Amen. Uh, So there's our big idea on the screen. And if you're taking notes, uh, then I suggest you you copy that one down. Uh, The one overarching theme for this morning's passage, as I see it, let me read it to you in case you can't uh, see it on the screen so well. We can hold on to hope when things feel hopeless because we know Jesus means to heal all of our hurts. We can hold on to hope when things feel hopeless because we know Jesus means to heal all of our hurts. Uh, now, three lives. That's going to be our structure for today. Three lives and each of them are uh, coming apart at the seams in their own way. Each of them have an encounter with Jesus. And I think Luke has put these stories beside one another for the sake of his disciples down the ages as we read God's word. Luke's story for us. Put them beside one another uh, for disciples who face our dark days and our dangers, our metaphorical days on the sea when life or hope or happiness seems to just dangle by a thread that's threatened to be chopped. And Luke shows us Jesus in the midst of it all, so that even if we know nothing else, in our dark days we will know who Jesus is and where our faith firmly rests. And if you're kind of new to Christianity Uh, Or to church, for that matter. May I say up front, it might make a bigger difference than you'd expect to have a firm answer for who Jesus is in those dark times. So three lives, three lives. uh, And if you like alliteration, um, then you could call them... Uh, Lives that are harassed by the uh, demons, disease and death, if you like uh, the the letters. I've chosen not to go that way with the the points today. Uh, I'll be tackling it under these headings, shattered, desperate and hopeless, more the experience line. And I couldn't figure out how to make them go with alliteration in the same letter. Um, So who do we see Jesus to be? Who exactly is Jesus in my life, in your life And how might that help when all of your hopes fade from view, whether because your life is shattered or desperate or hopeless? And the first point is this. The first life that we encounter is shattered. Let's take a look. We meet a man whose mind and whose life is nothing if it is not shattered. Would you agree? This shell of a man that we meet who roams the tombs, the place of death, who's possessed by actual demons... Uh, Which, whatever they are exactly, have shown both their power and their disregard for his life. They seem bent on destroying him. And it looks like they're winning. Verse 26. They, as in Jesus and the disciples, they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but he had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his lungs, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained, Hand and foot, and kept under guard. He had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him, and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. There is a very strange encounter. I think, to our ears in our setting. Now, does the Bible encourage us to look for demons behind every ailment of the body or mind? Um, You'll come across some Christian folks who seem to speak that kind of way. Friends, I'm not sure that the Bible does encourage us to see demons behind every ailment of the body or mind. And I'm not sure what we gain from going that course anyway. So back to our question, who is this? Just looking at this encounter. Well, this, verse 28, is Jesus, the son of the most high God. Now, let's just step back for a moment. Please note, that confession comes from the lips of a crazy man. From the mouth of a loner who lives alone among the tombs, a nobody that lives in the dark And everyone feels safest when he does live in the dark. And yet Jesus, at least as Luke tells it, Jesus has barely stepped off the boat. And already this crazy can say, uh, verse 28, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. Like, how does he even know that? Know what Jesus' own disciples could not quite string together just a few hours earlier on the lake when Jesus had literally shown the power of God in calming the storm. No, friends, I don't think the Bible encourages us to leap to supernatural explanations for every shattered life. But does it push us to admit, admit this at least? At least in this case, there does seem to be something spiritual going on, absolutely. Some supernatural insight of this man. But more than that, not just supernatural spiritual insight, but something profoundly evil. Take a look down at verse 32 and just consider this. Uh, why is it that Luke has included the weird bit with the pigs? Right? why bother including that is one of the weirdest passages in the new testament isn't it there's stuff with the pigs and the demons going into them why does what does it add to the story let's read the verses there together verse 32 a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside the demons begged jesus to let them go into the pigs and he gave them permission when the demons came out of the man. They went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. So odd. Now, with our modern sensibilities, our heart doesn't it goes with the pigs. Oh, the poor pigs! What's good now? They're drowned. Ah, this is this is the worst story in the world. Um, friends, I could be. We're appalled for the pigs. Or, actually, secondarily, we've seen enough horror films to wonder where those demons are going to turn up next. Friends, I could be wrong, but I suspect Luke, rather than either of those explanations, expects us to see something altogether different. The fate of those pigs, you see, reveals to Luke's readers, to us, the demon's intent for the man, if only they had the power to push him over the edge. I realise that's a confronting thought, so I'll say no more about it. But the question... Who is this? Luke wants you to know that when Jesus meets real evil in the real world that is bent on destroying lives and ruining minds, evil must ultimately fall at the feet of Jesus. It knows it must answer to Jesus. It knows its numbers are its days are numbered by Jesus. Verse 28, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. In verse 31, and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. And on the other side of the coin, of course, look at verse 36 or from verse 35. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Down at verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with Jesus, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. And I think he's got that one right, hasn't he? The man... Go and tell everyone what God has done. And so he did. And he went and told everyone what Jesus had done. Son of the Most High. Destroyer of evil. Repairer of my shattered life. The one who restored a man to the community that had once literally put chains on his body to stop him from who knows what. Restored to his community. Now, in my... um, relatively short life so far I've known a handful of people pretty closely I would have to describe their lives as shattered and it's just the hand that they have been dealt Uh, and I don't have a fix for them and I don't really have answers for them I certainly, I can't tell them why because I don't know why but I do know who Jesus is for them He is the repairer of their lives. He is the end of evil. And he is the one who will lead their shattered lives back home and put them back together. So firstly, shattered. That was our longest point, shattered. But secondly, desperate. Let's keep moving through. The second of these three lives, desperate. We pick it up in verse 42, halfway through verse 42, as Jesus was on his way Um, and where's he going he's on his way to see Jairus remember or Jairus's daughter his dying daughter Um, we'll come back to them in a moment Uh, as Jesus was on his way the crowds almost crushed him sorry I'm in verse 43 and a woman was there who had been subject subject to bleeding for 12 years but no one could heal her she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped Who touched me, Jesus said. Um, We'll keep reading in just a moment, but uh, just a couple of little details that may not be entirely obvious to us, but are worth pointing out as we go through. It's going to help us to understand. Uh, The language is a little bit indirect, but it's pretty obviously talking about her monthly bleeding, um, which in her case wasn't monthly. It was constant. Now, why do I make that connection um, explicit? Because, like it or not, bleeding put a woman for a time into a category of ceremonial uncleanness according to the ancient laws of God's people. Uh, Now, what on earth does that mean? Um, Practically speaking, it meant no temple access, um, uh, excluded from some of the aspects of religion, not exactly no God, like it's not that dramatic, but she's on the outside, do you see? There's the first detail. Now, the crowd um, shoving and pushing and crushing all around Jesus, I'm just guessing here, but in her condition, in their culture, I think she is at least breaching social courtesy just by being there. Why is that? Well, because another law, again, like it or not, whomever she touches, don't they become unclean too? Uh, At at least for the rest of the day, until evening. I think they do. And yet she has been living with this, if you can call it living, for 12 years. See, sometimes it's not the severity, it's the duration, isn't it? It's not that my lot in life is so bad. It's that it's just been so long. It's been years and years and years. Will this, never leave me. If this goes on like this, see, verse 45. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet, In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him. She told why she had touched him. Is there shame there? I imagine there's an awful lot of courage. Uh, Why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Um, Some of us know what years feel like, don't you? In my last congregation, there were good Christian people uh, in their 60s, in their 70s, in their 80s, in their 90s, uh, some of whom had been in pain or carried debilitating ailments of one kind or another for decades, plural, decades, now, for this woman, it kept her from God in a sense. And perhaps, just maybe, perhaps there's just a twinge of that for some of us here this morning, is there? Maybe. Chronic pain, untreatable illness, whether it's visible to others or not, unliftable burdens or shames. Now, did you hear Jesus' words to her? Who touched me? Jesus asked, verse 45? Who? He answers it in verse 48. A daughter. Daughter. And here it is again. Your faith has healed you. Where is your faith? Who is this? So secondly, desperate. Thirdly, uh, what are we seeing here? So one daughter lives... One daughter lives a life worn down for 12 years, but now, thirdly, the third point, hope less. Verse 49, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Let me ask us um, this question just about the structure of the passage. Why? as Luke tells the story. Why did he break the story up, do you think? He didn't have to tell it this way as, as, the, as an author. He could have put the story together a little bit differently. He didn't have to uh, tell us the bit up above about being called to Jairus' house. He could have told them as two completely separate stories. But no, we meet Jairus and then we discover this crisis in the woman's life. Uh, so, so verse 40, now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him. Uh, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and so the story goes, telling us about another woman who became a daughter, but at what cost? I'll tell you at what cost. At the cost of this 12-year-old's life. Verse 49, while Jesus was still speaking, Someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Luke could have just told us two events. Number one, Jesus healed a desperate woman and gave her peace that her restless and weary soul craved. He meets our yearnings. He revives the weary. He adopts the desperate. He names us as his daughters or his sons. Uh, Event number two, and he can raise the dead. Right, Luke could have told it that way do you know why I reckon he splits it up and it's just my theory it's to help us feel hopeless the hopelessness of it don't bother the teacher just don't bother anymore because okay great life goes on for this lady this daughter who's been restored but life just stopped for me and there's no hope for me, so just never mind. There is a place in life where it's time to stop hoping and time to stop trying and time to face the music, and not even Jesus can help you there, can he? Your daughter is dead, don't bother the teacher anymore. And, friends, that is good advice. If Jesus is just a teacher. Can you hear the opening question still resonating with us? Who then is this? Um, Friends, these are the kinds of stories that we need to remember when hope leaves our hearts and when hopelessness leaves us feeling hollowed out. Or when we find ourselves with someone we love very dearly, but for whom these burdens have become too great. Verse 50. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John and James and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Friends, let's conclude with this. The threat of real hopelessness It isn't hypothetical. It isn't just for those amongst us who haven't really got it together in life. Um, Do you remember the very first portrait of hopelessness here was actually, in these words, Master, Master, we're going to drown. It came from his loyal disciples, the ones who seemed so strong. Friends, this morning, we need to kind of reckon with this at least as a preparatory sermon for our own hearts, for one day. It'll happen to us all, won't it? It'll happen to those dearest to us. And for some of us, perhaps it already has. Lives that are shattered by evil. Lives that are worn down by weariness that just seems to shut the door on ever really being able to live the life that we crave. Lives that are already in the grip of hopelessness. And the question may come, where is my faith? And I want us to see this morning that the answer to that question, it does not lie within you, within the hollowed-out shell of our lives, within our desperation or indeed within our rage against the injustice of it all. We won't, hope, uh, we won't find hope within our hollowness. Our faith lies not in our ability to sail through the storms of life, but very real hope is to be found in his power and in his compassion and in his commitment to see us home safely to the distant shore. Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He even commands the wind and the water, and they obeyed. Can we pray together? Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we cry to you this morning as children who live in a world of shattered lives and of desperate longings, and of deep hopelessness. What can any of us do? Um, Father, we think of the families of Ukraine um, or indeed uh, the families of ordinary Russians who have sent their sons to war. We think of victims of school shootings as we prayed for earlier. But Father, we think of our dear friends and our loved ones and we think of ourselves. And God, we cry to you this morning because we know that one from heaven came to this real world, the son of the most high. And we know that he was shattered. He cried out in desperation. He succumbed to the hopelessness of the grave in our place. And by his resurrection, he was declared with power to be the son of God. Up from the grave, he rose again to stand in victory. Father, gosh, you've been good to us. We recognise in these stories, oh God, the strength, the power, the saving intent of Christ for us, the love of Jesus for us, his dear children, his daughters and sons, his concern, his intention, where he is taking our lives. We see here the promise that our Jesus will shatter the evil that has shattered our lives. And God, we pray, speed that day. We see here the promise... That our Jesus meets the weary with a warm welcome. And God, we long for that day. We see here the promise that our Jesus meets the hopeless and he calls for faith. Not because faith is easy or obvious, but because he is God in our midst. A glorious saviour, a life-giving God, a joy-giving Jesus. So may he grow and grow in our eyes and in our lives. May he be our comfort and our refuge and the comfort that we learn to share with one another. And lastly, God, uh, we pray for those around us who don't yet share this hope in the midst of hopelessness. May they find what we've found in Christ. May they take these stories as their own, as their hope, as their joy and confidence and delight. What a salve they are for our wounds and our worries. So in Jesus' name we pray for your help for them in their loss of hope. May we be Christ's, help to the, uh, Christ's ambassadors in their lives. In Jesus' name, Amen.